everyone. It's your host, Polly Siegel. And for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, certified addiction specialist, and master level trained mindfulness practitioner. I own a counseling practice in both Colorado and Illinois, and I specialize in trauma, OCD, and anxiety. If you live in either of those two states, feel free to reach out to me for a consultation and we can begin the therapeutic journey together. Now on to the good shit. Welcome to season three of Shit Talking Shrinks. Gosh, I'm so excited. I will be featuring experts in the healing space and we're discussing a variety of mental health topics, the human experience, and society at large while creating levity along the way. Get ready to laugh, learn a lot, and change your life for good. This episode is sponsored by Joyous. Okay, I have to tell you about this incredible company, Joyous. It's an at-home ketamine treatment that delivers ketamine to your door for $129 a month, which is absolutely unheard of because most ketamine treatment is hella expensive. And what ketamine does is it helps our prefrontal cortex work more optimally. And the prefrontal cortex helps with decision-making, problem-solving, emotional regulation. It's the part of the brain that gets us through hard shit. And so if you're someone who has struggled with anxiety and depression and you've tried antidepressants or you've tried mood stabilizers and they haven't helped, ketamine is absolutely the next step. And I have seen my clients thrive while using ketamine. Joyous makes it super easy to access this life-changing medicine. And you can start the process by visiting www.joyous.team. You guys, you got to get on it and try it. Trust me, you won't look back. Hello, everyone. I have two guests today that I am... Oh, gosh, I've been counting down the nanoseconds to this interview, truly. We have internet celebrities, or should I call you guys social media celebrities? What's the, what's the right term here? I don't think I can be comfortable with either one. It's very hard to think of myself as a celebrity. How about just sex therapist and regular (laughs) dude husband duo? (laughs) Okay, well, I kind of think of you guys as celebrities. So in my eyes, I'm, you know, starstruck here. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Okay, so today I have Vanessa and Xander Marin. Vanessa is a sex therapist and an instant New York Times bestseller author of Sex Talks, The Five Conversations That Will Transform Your Love Life. And it's co-written by her fabulous husband and partner in crime, Sander. And you guys are also the co-hosts of Pillow Talk, the podcast, right? Yes, we have our own podcast too. Amazing. So I know that the book launched in February of this year, and it's gotten a lot of buzz. And everyone is so grateful that they have this material to really enhance their sex life and create more connection and create more excitement and euphoria within the bedroom. I think there's a lot of good questions that the book answers, but I think for anyone who hasn't read it, I want them to have a little taste of what the book offers, something that gets them excited to read all of it. So tell me what inspired you to write this book? The very first inspiration for the book actually came from our own struggles with our sex life. We start the very first page of the book talking about how we wound up in therapy Mm -hmm. early in our relationship because we had the trajectory that so many couples have. Like when we met each other, it was instant connection, Mm -hmm. hot and heavy. Like it really felt like this is my person. I've found it. This is it. Yeah. We're just sat like this now. And then 
you get a couple of years into the relationship, life starts catching up and things in the bedroom slowed down big time. Mm -hmm. And even though I knew that I wanted to be a sex therapist and pursue this career, like I still had no clue how to talk about what was going on between the two of us. And when we did try to talk about it, we got into a lot of fights. We both mm -hmm. ended up feeling really bad about ourselves and about our own relationship. And it just felt like a scary topic. Interesting that you say that there was like this, almost you felt this guarantee, like it started off hot and heavy. That must mean it's going to sustain that for the end of time. And I would imagine a lot of people maybe ruminate on those times where they're like, but it was so great in the beginning. Like, how did we get to where we're at right now? Do you find that that's a common narrative that people get stuck in? Absolutely. And it can feel really scary. It can feel like what happened to us? You know, it was so easy. It felt so effortless. And why did it become so complicated? So a lot of people feel scared about that. They feel stuck. They really don't know how to talk about it. And that can make the problem feel even bigger and scarier when we're not talking about it. And I love that you guys both have shared your own like struggles in it, because I think a lot of times the perception of a sex therapist is they must have mind blowing sex all the time. And it's perfect because that's what they dedicate their life to. But we're just ordinary people, right? You know, we knew that people were going to feel nervous about this book. Like, you want me to talk about what? Like, have these conversations? And so we wanted to take the lead and be vulnerable and show like, look, we're not perfect at this either. We actually wrote a lot of sex talks based on the mistakes that we made. Like, don't do this, <laughs> you know, just being able to share like, yeah, even though this is our career, even though I have all this training, like, that doesn't make us immune from these challenges that every couple in a long-term relationship is going to go through. So we wanted to be vulnerable ourselves and we really wanted to normalize. Like every couple goes through this. It doesn't mean you, oh no, this isn't the right person after all, or you need to end the relationship. It's normal stuff that we can resolve with some very simple and effective conversations. Do you guys even now still run into obstacles even though you are equipped with all the tools? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. All oh, yeah. The time. <laughs> it's very easy for all of us to fall into a rut with sex. You know, it's just easy to kind of stop thinking about it. You discover the things that you like and that work. And, it, you know, you just kind of keep going down that same old path. And so we have to be really thoughtful ourselves of recognizing like time to like shake things up a little bit. <laughs> I can speak for myself too. Like there will be times that I will catch myself in the moment feeling like, oh, I want to ask for something, but I'm feeling embarrassed or I'm feeling shy. So it's just, you know, it's a constantly evolving journey. I mean, I think we both feel really confident in the tools that we do have now. We're able to like get back on track a lot faster and a lot easier than we used to. But again, we still want to normalize like there are going to continue to be mm -hmm. ups and downs in any couple's sex life. Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly the same as like, fights or arguments over random things in a relationship. Like you're never going to get to a point where you're like, okay, that was our last argument. And we <laughs> never had an argument after that. We never disagreed about something or we, you know, I never said anything that ended up feeling hurtful to her or she never said anything that I interpreted in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like that's just a part of life. And it's like, you can't cut those out completely. But what you can do is you can equip yourself so that those things feel less major so that you can get through those things more quickly. And I think that's what we have been able to do over these years of kind of developing this toolkit. You know, when we 
have some kind of issue in the bedroom that comes up, we're able to acknowledge what's going on and understand each other and, you know, get through that so much quicker than we used to. Whereas in the past, it would, you know, might have been like, oh my, you know, we're probably going back and forth about stuff for like six months before we ended up in therapy trying to figure out what was going on with our sex life. Well, and it makes me think, you know, in my clinical practice where someone comes in and they're like, I don't ever want to feel anxious again. And it's like, that's not realistic. Anxiety is part of life, just as this is part of life. You're going to have incongruences in the bedroom and it might feel funky at times. But like if you had the tools, you can get back on track faster. That's sort of how I'm understanding it. Absolutely. I mean, I wish I had the magic pill to say, you know, just do this and your sex life will be perfect and effortless for the rest of eternity. Unfortunately, that is not how life works. But I do think there's a lot for us to learn and discover in the process of having these conversations. So if you're in a stuck place in your relationship right now, of course, this might feel heavy or like, oh, this is a lot of work. I don't know if I want to do this. But there actually is a lot of joy and connection and self-discovery in going through these conversations. Yeah. And we really wrote the book. The idea is not like, okay, let's make you have all these really tough. Yeah, buckle up. (laughs) This is going to be really hard. You're going to have these five conversations and they're going to suck. They're going to suck, but you're going to be stronger at the end of it. Like that is not what it's about. It's not boot camp. Yeah, it's it's not uh, sex boot camp. Hey, that could be fun, maybe. But no, I mean, really the idea was how can we structure these conversations in the right conversations in the right order so that it can actually be really fun and you can Mm -hmm. ease your way in in terms of stuff that feels totally manageable and builds and builds and builds on itself so that you can really tackle all the important stuff, but in a fun and positive way rather than a like, just jump in the deep end, talk about like, tell your partner everything they're doing wrong. A lot of people wonder, what's the right amount of sex? What's the healthy amount of sex between me and my partner? And people get really fixated on a number, which I believe you're probably going to say it's individualized and it's different for every person. But what would you both recommend or share in terms of number? So I totally get the desire for a number. Like sex can feel very big and complex. And numbers are simple and easy. Like, just tell me the magic number. If I have sex twice a week, that everything's going to be okay. Like, of course, that feels tempting. But here's the problem with having sex to meet a quota. It's not going to feel good. You know, anytime you do anything where you're just trying to meet a quota or just trying to be normal, like it doesn't feel good. And one of the most important things that we talk about in the book is the enjoyment desire connection with sex. Like if you're not enjoying the sex you're having, you are not going to desire it. Your sex drive is actually going to decrease because why would you crave something that's not enjoyable? So that being said, I know it's still an unsatisfying answer. People are still like, but just give me the number though. Can you just give me the number? (laughs) What I will tell you is that we have surveyed our audience about this. And at this point, we've had, I think almost 80,000 people have responded. And we found that 75% of the respondents fell into three different buckets and they were evenly divided in those three, like 25%, 25%, 25%. And those three buckets were two to three times a month, once a week, and two to three times a week. So the vast majority of people are having sex between two to three times a month and two to three times a week. And we also asked of all those people, like, what is their overall enjoyment of the sex that they're having? And we did not find any significant differences between those three buckets. So it's not, you know, some people 
might assume, oh, well, obviously, if you're having more of it, you're going to be happier with your sex life. We did not find that relationship. Again, that points back to it's more about what feels right to you. You're going to feel more satisfied with your sex life if you're having sex that is high quality, that feels really good for you, that feels good for your partner. You feel like you're in a good place as a result of it. You're going to be so much more satisfied than if you're pushing yourself to have a lot of mediocre sex because one or both of you feels like you should. It's the classic saying of quantity over quality, right? I feel like this is like the perfect example of that, that it's not the frequency, it's how meaningful and enriching and enjoyable the experience is, which could be two to three times a month, or it could be two to three times a week. I want to take a quick pause to talk about our sponsor, a company called BetterHelp. It's an online therapy platform where all the therapists are licensed and accredited professionals. It's affordable. You pay a low flat fee for therapy with your therapist, and it's convenient. Do it at your own time and at your own pace, and you can communicate with your therapist as much as you want and whenever you feel is needed. And more importantly, it's effective. Thousands of people have benefited from therapy using BetterHelp, and we're really grateful to offer all of our listeners 10% off your first month. So if you're interested in receiving therapy ASAP, click the link in our show notes and you can get started and you get to save money. Okay. So a lot of times one partner's libido, there's just the general experience of mismatched libidos. And that doesn't necessarily fall into a particular sex or gender. I think it's probably equal across. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't always want to make the assumption that it's the man that has the higher libido. How do you navigate mismatched libidos and how do you create more congruence when that's happening? So the first thing is that every couple has mismatched libidos. A lot Pretty of much us, all the time. Yeah, a lot of us get really up in our heads, like feeling worried about this. But the reality is it would be too weird of a coincidence to find a partner who wants sex at the exact same time you do every single time, the exact same kind of sex in the moment, like that just doesn't exist. So every couple has mismatched desire. So if we normalize that, we bring the anxiety down for a lot of people, then it becomes understanding like what we need to feel excited about being intimate with each other. So there are a ton of different things that like feed into libido and you know what makes us feel desire and all of that. But we've found that one of the best places to start is with how sex gets initiated. And this is something that most of us have no clue how to do. <laughs> and it can create this feeling that our libidos are much more mismatched than they are. So like, let's say, for example, if Xander is initiating sex and he's doing it in this way that I really don't like, like, here's the classic one. If he comes up behind me and honks my boobs, I'm going to be a hard no to that one. And so it's going to feel like, oh, here's this big mismatch in our libido. Yeah, like I'm always initiated and she never says yes. Mm -hmm. Like, what's going on? But instead, if he were to initiate with me in a way that I actually enjoy, the odds are infinitely higher that I'm going to say yes to that. So if we get more skillful with our initiation, we'll actually find that there's far smaller of a mismatch than we might think that there is. My brain is swirling right now because I have these conversations in my clinical practice all the time. You know, I've been a big fan of both of you and watch all of your Instagrams. And I think you do the most hilarious initiation videos. So if anyone wants to laugh about initiation, go to their Instagram. But yeah, that it, it might not actually be mismatched. It's just that what 
one partner's doing is a turnoff. And who's going to want to continue if they're turned off? We have a model that we created called the initiation styles model. So most people have heard of the love languages model, like this idea of how we like to give and receive love. So the initiation styles model is understanding how we like to be invited to have sex. So if you don't understand what your partner's initiation style is, you're likely initiating in a way that is not working for them and you're much more likely to get a no. So that's a great model for couples to read over together and say like, oh, actually like, yeah, this is my type. I would be really excited if you initiated in these ways. Yeah, because very often in a relationship, your partner is going to have a different initiation style than you do. And if you've never talked about that, you don't have any understanding of what kind of the range of initiation styles are, you're most likely going to be initiating in the way that you would like to be initiated with. Like you see the world through your own eyes. If you haven't heard anyone else's experience, you're just going to kind of default to your own experience. And so, yeah, it's unlikely that your partner has the same style as you. So it's actually, you know, assume that the way that I like to do it probably won't land as well with my partner as it would with me. So yeah, it's almost better to like assume that what you would like to do won't work. It's really the conversation and the skill here is learning each other's initiation green lights and then putting it into action. Yeah. And so one practical thing that people can do after listening to this episode, you know, before you go check out the book and read over all of the different languages is you can take a little bit of time to think about like, what's a way that my partner initiated in the past that I enjoyed? And if you want to, you can share that with them too. just start giving them specific ideas of things that they could do. I know I would imagine a lot of listeners are like, okay, I get the concept of initiation. However, like what are the different varieties or ice cream flavors of initiation? In your work and in your research, what do you find are the more exciting ways of initiation? Well, I can give you a couple of examples of the types themselves. So one of them, we call it play with me. And so for this type, you like sex to be initiated in a playful, silly way. You're a rare person who a boob punk might actually work for. Or maybe you guys have some sort of inside joke about how you like to initiate. Sometimes people think of initiation and they think it needs to be this really seductive thing. Like, oh, I have to put all the rose petals out and turn the candles, you know, light the candles and all that kind of stuff. And for some people, that might be really sexy. For other people, like they're actually going to get turned on if the two of you guys are wrestling around together or like making a bet on something mm -hmm. and the winner gets oral sex. So there can be a, just a lot of different flavors to initiation. Yeah, people are always asking, oh, well, what are the best ways to initiate? And it's like, there's actually not a good answer to that question because there are best ways for each style. But there's no like, oh, yeah, well, 75% of women will always <laughs> say yes if you do X, Y, and Z. So you said the play type. And then what are some of the other ones? Another one is take care of me. And this is a really great contrast to that. So the take care of me type likes their partner to do like emotional connecting things or like acts of service. We go back to the love languages type of thing. So you may have seen jokes about chore play, but the take care of me type like actually will get turned on if you take care of the dishes or you put the kids to sleep or you say like, hey, I've got everything covered. Why don't you go take a bath for 30 minutes? And then I'm thinking about my style. Mine is just about touching my body in a very specific way. So is that its own type? Oh, yeah, that's the touch me. <laughs> touch me type. <laughs> okay, sign me up for the touch me type. <laughs> and so is that more sort of stereotypical, like touch me in different areas with different pressures, with different style, things like that? 
Yeah. So here it's important to get specific because, you know, different people like different types of touch. So one person might like a back massage, whereas another person might say like, I know what a, you know, back massage really means. So it's identifying for your partner, like, yeah, here are my favorite places to be touched, my favorite ways I like to be touched. We actually have an exercise around this called the touch maps in sex talks, because of course, touch is a huge part of sex, but figuring out like, yeah, what are the ways of touch that I like being used as initiation. And then is there like a shape shifter where people can be more versatile or there's multiple different initiations that create excitement? Yeah, I mean, of course, whenever you're talking about any sort of personality model, you're not going to have everybody fit neatly into these little boxes. So the reason that we love creating so many models like this is to have it be a conversation starter. So you can read over these types with your partner and, you know, maybe you're like, oh, yeah, I'm exactly that type. That is me. But maybe you're like, oh, you know, I'm a little bit of this and I'm a little bit of this. And maybe that can help get the conversation started. Like, hey, when I'm in a good mood, I like this kind of initiation. But if I had a rough day, then I actually like it more like that. So you can kind of, you know, customize your own styles, but it's just serving as a conversation starter. And I think to also note that it's flexible and it's fluid and it's going to change depending on probably external variables or things going on in your life. Yeah, Yeah. we never mean anything to like, you know, oh, you've got to commit that that's your type (laughs) and you can never change it and you're always going to respond positively to it. (laughs) But I think actually this is an interesting point because I think this comes up a lot in, you know, relationships and sex when we don't talk openly about this stuff, this idea that like, oh, because I said yes to something once or because we did Mm -hmm. something a certain way once, or this is how we did it at the beginning of the relationship, that somehow we're like locked into that. Oh, okay, well, do these three positions and that's what we do. And so we are totally locked in. We can't, if I suggest anything else, you know, they're going to think that something is horribly wrong or, you know, like, this is the way that we've split up the chores and that's how it always has to be. I think it's so easy for us to get into that mindset when we're like, well, this is a scary topic. I don't really want to talk about it. So it's easier to just fall back on these like unspoken agreements Mm -hmm. that we have. And yeah, and that's why we have people who are like faking orgasms after 10 years. Like, you know, I made it seem like it worked the first time. So now I can't get myself out of that. So Again, yeah, Sex Talks just gives a really great opportunity to clear the slate and start over again. Okay, so this question I've been dying to hear the answer for. What are the five conversations that you believe transform a couple's sex life? So the five conversations in order, because the order is important, are acknowledgement. We say that one's all about just getting comfortable with sex Mm -hmm. as a topic of conversation, like sex is a thing and we have it. Then we go into connection. What do we each need to feel connected to each other? And I think a lot of people might be surprised to see that one of the conversations in sex talks is all about emotional connection, but it's very important. Then we get into number three, desire. What do we each need to feel good, to feel excited about being intimate? That's what we're talking a lot about with this initiation stuff. Conversation four is pleasure. What do we each need to feel good and have a satisfying experience? And then we wrap it up with conversation five, exploration. What do we want to try next? Which allows for it to be a natural evolution. And I think it adds, you know, some spice to it. Oh, yeah. That conversation is all about spicing it up. We've all heard the advice to spice things up in the bedroom, but most of us just aren't doing it. And like I was saying earlier, like it's just it's so easy to just keep doing the same old thing every single time. 
So this conversation gets really practical about how do we actually try new things in the bedroom? Yeah, in a way that doesn't feel super intimidating. Mm -hmm. I think so many people hear that, you know, oh, like try new things and they immediately jump to extremes. Oh, we got to go. We got to crank it up 10 notches. We got to do something that's really out of our comfort zone. And the reality is there's a whole spectrum of things that you could try. And there's a lot of things. It's not necessarily even trying something new. It could be bringing something back that you haven't done in a really long time or, you know, a slight variation on something that you do. Because the reality is our brains just light up. Things that are novel, whether it's brand new or it's been a while, often we have to remind ourselves like, okay, I don't need to jump to that extreme. You know, we can just do something a little bit different and see how that feels. And you can start training yourself to be like, oh, yeah, I am a person that likes new things. I don't have to be stuck in the like, okay, yeah, these are the three things that we do. And we always have to do it that way. Well, it makes me think like, you know, if you're training for a marathon, your first day of training, you don't run that many miles, like you build up to it. Right. And it's kind of the same thing. Or that's how I'm understanding it is like, it's baby steps. And it's trying things. And it's working that muscle, that muscle between you two to find what works and to you know, create yumminess and whatever that way that is for that person or that couple. I would love to dive into each of those sections and maybe pull out a few questions what that would allow listeners a starting place. So with the first conversation, this one is all about just getting comfortable talking about sex as a topic of conversation. People make one of two mistakes when it comes to talking about sex. They either never talk about it or they wait until things are bad, something's really bothering them, it's come boiling over and they get into a fight about sex, which of course only reinforces that sex is not a good topic to talk about. So instead what we wanted to is help ease people into it and get comfortable talking about sex even in a neutral way or in a positive way. So a little homework assignment from this chapter would be to take some time to think about one of your favorite sexual memories with your partner and then share that with them. Just as simple as like, hey, you know what popped into my head the other day? Our wedding night, how great the sex was, like how connected we felt. It just popped into my head. It was really fun to think about that. So you're not giving any complaints. You're not making any criticisms. You're not even using it to initiate sex. You're just sharing that memory. And even that very simple conversation is starting to create this foundation between the two of you of sex being something Mm -hmm. that's comfortable and positive and safe to talk about. What about the other sections? Keep going. (laughs) Yeah. So emotional connection, we can give, maybe we'll give a little like assignment from each of Mm -hmm. them. So emotional connection could be to think about what are the times that you feel the closest to your partner? Because most of us feel like we've slipped into like roommates rather than romantic partners. Sometimes we might feel like we're ships passing in the night. You get into bed with your partner at the end of the night and it's like, oh, there's like a stranger crawling into bed with me. Like, who is that? So we want to think about ways to create that connection all throughout the day so that when we're getting into bed with each other, it feels like easy and you know natural to like move towards being physically intimate. So again, let's get like practical and think about what are simple things that your partner could do on a daily basis that help you feel connected to them. So obviously the grand gestures like going on a romantic vacation together, or your partner buying you a super thoughtful, expensive gift, like Obviously, those are fun, but we're talking about like the really practical, like what could your partner do 
on a Tuesday night at 1030 when you're both pretty exhausted to just help you feel 10% more loved and connected. So if you could come up with a list of a couple of things mm -hmm. to share with your partner, like what are the things that really move the needle for you? We already talked about desire and the initiation styles. So I'll move into conversation four, which is all about pleasure. So for that one, maybe go back to the touch maps exercise and we think about come up with, let's say your three favorite places to be touched and how you like to be touched in those places and share mm -hmm. those lists with each other. That's a really fascinating exercise. We actually did it ourselves when we were writing the book. And I was surprised, <laughs> like some of the things on Xander's list, I was like, oh, okay, interesting. So it doesn't matter like how long you've known your partner or how much you think you know what they like, like going back to an exercise like that and saying like, yeah, what are like currently, you know, what are your three favorite places to be touched? Like, yeah, it'd be really fun. I think that one's so important because it's so important to remind ourselves like we can't read each other's minds. And I think we can fall into this trap after a long time in a relationship of thinking that you do kind of because in many ways, you know, you do know how to anticipate each other's thoughts or needs. But when it comes to something like touch, where it's like, you know, obviously, like, I can feel like my experience of touch, but I have no idea what her experience of touch is like. And I think early on in a relationship, like, you know, you're touching your partner because you want them to feel good, but you're also excited about touching them in ways that feel good to you as well. And so I think it can be so easy to assume that the ways that you want to touch them are also the ways that they want to be touched. And it can just be a good reminder of like, oh, yeah, like, what are the things that you really, really love? And it, and I think the other part of it is like, it's important to remind yourself that this isn't an indictment on like, oh, if the things that your partner says are three different things than what you would have said, that doesn't mean that you don't know them or that you're doing anything mm -hmm. wrong. It doesn't mean that you can't ever touch them in the ways that you also like to touch them unless your partner's telling you they really don't like those ways. It's just an invitation to, mm -hmm. you know, add a couple other options to the menu. And then we'll wrap things up with the exploration conversation. So here's the thing that people get really wrong about trying new things in the bedroom is that they often ask themselves or their partner, what's your fantasy? And we found that I believe it was like 77% of women said that they don't have a fantasy. I actually think that the word fantasy is the wrong word to use. Yeah, it sets the bar really high. It sets the bar too high. Most of us think of fantasy as like, okay, it has to be really elaborate and very kinky and I have to be really into it and I fantasize about it all the time and I'm like, it's guaranteed to make me orgasm. And like, obviously that's gonna sound like a very high bar. So instead, we like to swap out the word fantasy with the word curiosity. So ask yourself, what is something I'm curious about trying? So curious is great because it doesn't imply that you'll actually like it. I might be curious to try oysters, but I don't know if I'm going to like them or not, right? Think about what are like three things that you have even the tiniest little curiosity about. And how would you navigate if, let's say, you know, it takes vulnerability, it takes some courage to share what you're curious about, especially if it's maybe more taboo. And, you know, we live in a society with a lot of shame, unfortunately. If you do share your curiosity and your partner has an aversion to it, how do you navigate that? We have a little hack to work around this. So if you have something that you're feeling very nervous to share with your partner, we came up with something that we call the dream scheme. So what you could do is tell your partner, I had this really interesting dream last night. 
we were doing X, Y, Z, like fill in the blank with whatever the curiosity is. And then you can say something like, you know, I've never really thought about that before, but in the dream, it was very sexy. And now I'm like kind of thinking about it. So, you know, of course, we're always going to advise people like just be open and honest with each other. And I think the vast majority of the time, like you're going to get a good response from your partner either way. But we like to give like gentler ways to ease into it, too. And in honesty, like saying that you dreamt about something versus daydreaming about something, there's just a little technical difference there. (laughs) So I think it's fine to introduce something like that. But if your partner says like, oh, like, yeah, that's not something that I've ever thought about before. Like, that's not really something that I'm open to. It was harmless. It's just a dream that you had. Right. No, it definitely softens the blow if the other person is not super jazzed about it. And also, like, don't judge yourself if you're into something that your partner is not. Like, we are all so unique and different. Like, I just made a food comparison. We make a lot of food comparisons because we love food. But like, we don't judge ourselves for having different food preferences, right? And we don't judge ourselves and get all worked up about like our incompatibilities with food. Like, okay, I like sushi more and Xander likes Italian more. Like, it's okay. Who cares? It's not a big deal. And so we can think of our sexual preferences in the same way. And we don't have to put any sort of value on top of it either. Like, oh, what's wrong with me that I want to try some kinky stuff and my partner doesn't? Like, no, there's nothing wrong with you if you like mushrooms or you like blue cheese and your partner doesn't. I mean, it's really removing the moral tags. Those preferences aren't right, wrong, good, bad, healthy, unhealthy. They just are. They just exist. Yeah. Even if you do get a, you know, a not so favorable response from your partner, the chances are that they're dealing with their own sexual shame and embarrassment. Like a lot of us, just like you might be struggling to share with your partner something you're curious about, your partner might also be struggling to say like, "Ooh, yeah, that's actually something I'm kind of curious about too. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think that If you were to go through all the conversations in the book and, you know, take your time going through that and getting to the point where you feel really comfortable talking about sex with your partner, I think it can be valuable to kind of circle back to some of those things. Because honestly, like Vanessa said, you know, a lot of us react poorly the first time we hear something because we have our own kind of shame or whatever about it. Or, you know, we had some additional meaning onto whatever our partner said and go like, oh my God, they must really, really hate that. I feel like we've had this experience multiple times where like years later, you know, maybe we'll see something like portrayed on a TV show or something. And then all of a sudden, like we're talking about it. And it's like, oh, like that could be fun. And Vanessa will be like, oh, I, I remember asking you about that like five <laughs> years ago. And it seemed like you were really not into that. And I'll like not even remember yeah. that. Or I'll, I'll remember like, oh, I thought that I just said I was unsure. But her takeaway was that Uh it was like a hard no from me. And, you know, we've had, you know, vice versa type experiences Mm -hmm. with that as well. And so I think it's so easy for us to be like, oh, I got to know once I'm never allowed to bring this up again. But this is why it's so valuable to go through the process that we lay out in the book, because once you get to that point of feeling much more comfortable about things and you know, coming to terms with sort of some of the shame that is baked into all of us, the response that you get from your partner might be very different. We did a tangible tool throughout the entire episode, folks. Like it's been sprinkled in from the moment we started talking. So if this episode has been meaningful or helpful, please share it. There are so many people that want to have this conversation, want to learn from this conversation, want to adapt to this conversation within their life. And so the more the merrier, spread it. 
And if people want to get more of your incredible content, how can they find you? I'm going to obviously put all of your stuff in the show notes, but I want everyone to have a step-by-step process to get in touch. If you want to check out the book, you can go to sextalksbook.com. We have links to all the major retailers to purchase it. It's on Kindle, it's on audiobook, all the formats. And then if you come back to that page and just put in your order number, we'll send you a free workbook that goes along with it. Follow us on Instagram to see all of our embarrassing initiation videos. <laughs> um, we're at Vanessa and Xander. And you can also go to our website at vmtherapy.com. That's where we have all the information about our guides and courses. We have incredible technique guides like Next Level Intercourse and the Ultimate Foreplay Guides. And we do really fun challenges for couples. We have a sex challenge, an emotional connection challenge. So you can check out all the fun stuff there. And then you mentioned it right at the beginning, but there's also the Pillow Talks podcast, which is Vanessa and me trying to be as funny as we can every single (laughs) week, sometimes succeeding, sometimes not so much because it's a more serious topic, but you never know. I love it. Well, thank you both from the bottom of my heart for joining and we'll catch everyone later. 